The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. I've titled this sermon, Slaves of God, and, and that's a little bit of a shocking title, especially after we just got done singing, We Are Set Free, right? Um, but it's, it's, we've titled it, Slaves of God. The, the phrase itself comes straight out of your Bible there in verse 22 that Brian just read. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, it says. It's a shocking phrase. It's a shocking sermon title, actually for for two reasons. First, when we hear the word slaves, we immediately think of 19th century American chattel slavery, and our inclination, okay, rightly so, is to be immediately filled with, kind of through and through, negative connotations. We're we're therefore tempted to to throw out this language that Paul uses and dismiss it altogether and immediately. And here's what I'd say to that. First, uh, Paul is writing in the first century, not the 21st century. And while the buying and selling of humans is absolutely evil, be it in the first century or the 19th century or the 21st century, we, we, we have to acknowledge that slavery was a thing. In fact, slavery still is a thing in our world today. Additionally, we have to realize that Paul is in no way condoning slavery. He's not condoning at all. He's illustrating. He's illustrating gospel truth quite vividly, I might add. In fact, he's got our attention, doesn't he? He's got our attention. He tells us in verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in in human terms because of your natural limitations. This is Paul saying, I'm using this familiar illustration taken from life in this world in order to help you understand very, very important gospel truth. If it's a shocking illustration, I think that's kind of the point. But listen, perhaps the the, the phrase slaves of God is is shocking to us for a a second and and even more subtle reason. Um, We don't want to be slaves to anyone, do we? And yet the Bible says things in, in places like 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Bible says things like, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That is a shocking statement. And what I would contend is that our passage here today in Romans 6 is essentially an exposition of this verse right up here. You were not your own. You were, look, look at the word, bought with a price. I mean, there's really not a more shocking statement to our modern ears, is there? Why? Well, because essential to our modern culture's understanding of what it means to be human is that we are each our own, and we belong to no one. No one but ourselves. Alan Noble has written an excellent little book under the title, You Are Not Your Own. Listen to how he describes our, our modern culture's understanding. He says, to be your own and belong to yourself means that the most fundamental truth about existence is that you are responsible for your existence and everything it entails. I'm responsible for living a life of purpose, of defining my identity, of interpreting meaningful events, of choosing my values and electing where I belong. If I belong to myself, then I am the only one who can set limits on who I am and what I can do. No one else has the right to define me. 
No one else has the right to choose my journey in life or to assure me that I'm okay. I belong to myself. Now, you might be here this morning and just kind of nodding along with that. Um, You might be here and thinking, I don't belong to anyone on my own. I do belong to myself. That's how I live. That's how it is. No one can tell me what to do or not to do. I do what I want. Well, not if you're a Christian, the Bible's going to tell you today. Not if you're a Christian. In fact, that's exactly what we're talking about here today. In in verse 15, Paul says, what then? Are, Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? It's a it's a reasonable question from those that he's writing to. It's a very applicable question to us today. Paul has been laboring in Romans up till this point, right, to to tell us that as Christians, okay, as as real Christians, those who have truly trusted in Jesus for salvation, those who have been justified, made right with him through faith in his life and his death and his resurrection, those who have been united securely with Jesus as Christians, we are no longer under the law, we're under grace. But the question then that arises is, Can we just live however we want to now? Are we our own now? See? Do we belong to ourselves? Does the law, right? Does the Bible and all of its shoulds, shalls, and shall nots, all of its commands, can we just kind of take and leave those as we choose now? Especially the ones we don't like or the ones that hurt our feelings. Does it matter that much, for example, uh, how we treat one another, how we speak to one another, how we speak about one another? Does it matter that much if we honor our parents or not? Is lust, is that a big deal? Um, What about sex and, and the biblical sexual ethic? Does marriage really need to be defined just between a man and a woman if we're under grace now? Or the unborn. Do we, do we have to make a, such a big deal uh, about preserving the life of the unborn if, if we're under grace now? Not the law. Your spiritual disciplines. Hmm? It is making time to commune with God. Taking time to exercise the means of grace like scripture reading and, and prayer and, and partaking in the Lord's Supper in the, in the context of corporate worship. Do, do you have to do all that stuff? Do we really need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength? Do I have to change? Hmm? Or can I just do whatever I want instead? By no means, Paul says, you can't do whatever you want. Absolutely not. And the reason is that you're not your own. You're a slave of God, Christian. In fact, Paul's going to tell us in this passage, number one, everyone is a slave to something. Everyone. And if that's true, number two, we must understand how slavery works. The third thing he's going to tell us is true of Christians is that true Christians are slaves to righteousness. We are slaves of God and slaves to righteousness, he tells us in this passage. And the fourth thing we'll see is that we proclaim whose slaves we are by how we live. Are you sufficiently shocked? (laughs) 
Point number one, everyone is a slave to something. We see this right away in the passage in verse 16. Paul, Paul tells us here that even if you don't think of yourself as a slave to something or someone, you are. In fact, three times in this passage, he makes a contrast saying you are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to obedience, to righteousness, and God. Look at verse 16. It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Look, look what he's saying. He's saying everyone is offering themselves to something or someone. I love how Rebecca Pippert puts this. She, she says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The, the person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Who or what is the Lord of your life? Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you have a God. Is it Jesus? Or is it money? Control, perhaps, sex, approval, comfort, whatever it is, you're a worshiper and you're enslaved. It has mastery over you. You are a slave, Paul says, of the one to whom you obey. Paul even rolls it up into two nice and tidy categories for us here in verse 16. Sin or obedience, right? You're either, do you see that word in the text? You're either a slave of sin or a slave of obedience. Which are you? And just in case you're thinking, boy, this Paul guy, <laughs> he needs to take a little bit of a chill pill on the sin sauce. You know what I'm saying? Well, Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? In John chapter 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, anyone who doesn't confess their sin, repent of sin, turn from their sin, anyone who makes a habit, a, a practice, Jesus says, of sinning is a slave to it. Here's the big idea in case you're missing it. <laughs> everyone in this room right now is a slave you're either a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. Paul says a slave of God. There's no in-between. And there's no both and. Jesus said that too in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, remember that? The two are bitterly and violently and eternally opposed to each other. You can't dabble. There's no little bit of this one, a little bit of that one. You cannot serve two masters any more than a slave can belong to two masters. That's kind of the point of slavery. Which are you? Are you a slave to sin, a slave to yourself? Do you belong to sin, having convinced yourself maybe that you merely belong to yourself? Or are you a Christian? Not your own, but a slave of God, bought with a price. Everyone is a slave to something. Everyone. Now, if that's true, we must understand how slavery works. 
See, because you, you might be here this morning and, and thinking, big whoop, you know? I mean, so I'm a slave to sin. So I'm a slave to myself. I'm, I'm living for me, you think. You know, Frank Sinatra is your homeboy. You did it your way, you know? You're living your life. You're doing what you want to do. No one can tell you what to think. No one can tell you what to do. Your life is like one of those old Outback Steakhouse commercials. No rules, just right. The blooming onion and everything, right? Your life... Ask yourself a really honest question if that's how you're living, about your life. Ask yourself, how's that really working out for you? No rules, just right. Doing it your way. Nobody telling you what to do. How's it working out? See, Paul says in this passage, he says something very vivid. He says that slavery is not static. It's dynamic. It advances, it develops. Look, look at verse 20. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. There, there is, there's a sense of freedom in rejecting Christianity, isn't there? It's a freedom from righteousness, and yet in every other way, you're still enslaved. Which means what you're actually free from in that case is living the way that will most satisfy you. Keep reading. Verse 21 says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? That's Paul's way of saying, how's it working out for you? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification. And it's end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Look what Paul is saying here. He's saying there's two roads. There's, there's two paths. They're actually more, though, like those little uh, horizontal escalator, treadmill, conveyor belt thingies at the airport. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever we call those things. Nobody really knows. They're just those things that you get on, and they, they take you places, right? The, the little walkway thingies. When you get on one, it's taking you somewhere. One goes in this direction, one goes in that direction. The conveyor belt of sin, that's the one that slaves of sin are on. In verse 19, he says it's the way of impurity and lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness. In verse 21, he says the end of that way is death, spiritual death and eternal death. In verse 22, he says if that's the way you live your life, Sin is your master. You work for him. You're on the conveyor belt, and you might not even realize it, but you can't get off. The master won't let you. Sin is your master if that's how you're living. And he always pays all the time, on time and in full. The wages of sin is death. Again, with the conveyor belt, it might not seem like a big deal. How you're living right now, you're like, well, God doesn't strip me down with lightning yet. What's the big deal? Play it out. Play it out, Paul says. If you are a slave to impurity and lawlessness, he says, the trajectory that you are on is that you are enslaved to this business of more and more lawlessness. It's not static. It's dynamic. It's not staying the same. It's developing. 
More and more misery, more and more unhappiness, more and more pain and purposelessness until it dumps you out at the end at the gate of eternal hell. Eternal lawlessness. Eternal misery. Eternal unhappiness and pain because it's eternal separation from God. Now, Megan and I were not Christians when we started dating in high school. Uh, we didn't really become Christians until we were after married. And um, from time to time, we'll talk about what would be different about our lives if we never became Christians. You ever ask yourself that? We have. We've talked about it. If we kept living in the sinful ways, some very subtle, right? Like pride and selfishness. Some not so subtle drunkenness and lust and the full lifestyle that came with that or the pursuit of money and the pursuit of more. When we play that out in our heads, neither one of us thinks we'd still be married. Why do I think that? Because we weren't just dabbling. That is the trick of the enemy. To make you think you're in control. To make you think you're your own master. That, that you belong to you that you can slow down or get off that conveyor belt whenever you well darn please. We weren't actually in control. We were enslaved, the Bible says. We were on the conveyor belt towards increasing lawlessness. We weren't in control. We thought we were, but we were slaves. Spiritual death was our destination. Eternal death. But listen, Jesus now has changed all that. Like literally changed us. We still years of, of marriage this, this month. And if it's not all, you know, cupcakes and unicorns or anything like that, we still struggle. Our marriage is not perfect. You know whose is? No one's. No one's. But the way we relate to each other is different now. And when it's not different for a little bit, you know what I'm talking about, all right? The Holy Spirit who lives in us doesn't leave us there. He convicts us of sin. Sometimes that takes a minute or a week or more. But we're no longer enslaved to sin. Impurity and lawlessness, lawlessness isn't multiplying in our life now. Righteousness and sanctification are growing in Christ's likeness. He's put us on the other conveyor belt. Transferred. Remember the language from, from Colossians chapter 1, from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son. It's a different moving walkway, and it's not static either. It's developing. It's advancing. There's fruit in our lives. Oh, sometimes you've got to look real close for it, but it's there. It's growing. Love, joy, peace. Patience, man, the Lord has grown me in patience, kindness, goodness. He's grown me in gentleness, self-control. Oh, my. And we are far from perfect. That conveyor belt's got a long ways to go. And yet, you know, by the grace of God operating in our lives, we're not who we used to be. We're not who we will one day be, but we're also not who we used to be. And the fruit that he's bearing in our lives is leading to an end. It's leading to sanctification. It's leading to eternal life with Jesus. And it's not a paycheck like with sin. Eternal life, verse 23 says, 
is not a wage. We don't earn it like we earn death through the slave master of sin. No, it's a free gift, Paul says. Like God's not rewarding us for our good behavior that we have to keep up to make sure that we get into heaven or get each other to heaven in some way. In fact, we're on the conveyor belt. He's the one who put us there. And we're all on either one or the other. Remember, everyone is a slave to something. Your slavery is producing something in you. It's not static. It's dynamic. It's advancing. And there's an inevitable end. And and the thing with, with slaves, press the illustration a little bit more. A slave, do you realize, cannot simply declare him or herself to now be under a new slave master? Have you thought about that? That's not how slavery works. Slavery's never worked that way. If it did, we wouldn't have needed a civil war. We we wouldn't need people fighting sex traffic today. The Israelites would have never needed the plagues or the parting of of the Red Sea when they were enslaved in Egypt. Here's what that means when you apply the illustration. You cannot free yourself from the slavery of sin. You can't free yourself from it. You can't free yourself from the slavery of sin any more than the Israelites could free themselves from Pharaoh and Egypt. No, the only way to be transferred to a new slave master is to be bought. Bought. It's vivid, illustrative language, isn't it? As a Christian, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price, the precious blood of Jesus. The blood of God's very own son. Listen, a price that no other price can top. Which means you'll never be sold or bought again. You, my friend, are a slave of God if you trust in Jesus. True Christians are slaves to righteousness. Now, what the heck does that mean, right? I mean, is that good or bad? It sounds sounds good and bad at the same time. We're not completely sure, are we? Seems a little odd, if not shocking, that our relationship with God would be described in terms of slavery. And yet, that's exactly what it says. Verse 17, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. The first thing I want you to notice here is that this is a statement of fact in verse 18. It's not an exhortation. Paul is not exhorting the Roman Christians nor you and I right, to free ourselves from sin. He's telling us what has already been accomplished. Thanks be to God. Having been set free from sin, he says. Do you see that? You who were once slaves to sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. It happened when you were justified in past tense for the believer. In other words, if you're a true Christian, this isn't actually up for debate. You don't actually have a choice in the matter, which is the rub, isn't it? We tend to think that freedom 
is all about choice. We tend to think in simplistic terms, freedom good, slavery bad. We have good reasons for thinking that way, right? But the Bible is trying to illustrate this truth for us. We want to feel like obeying God is good, and yet it's still something we get to choose to do or not do. That's not how slavery works, though, is it? Slaves are not free to obey or not obey. They're to obey. Now, remember the context. Remember the, the question in verse 15 that started this whole thing off. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law anymore, but under grace? By no means. What Paul is defending against, you'll recall from, from last week, I think, was, was the charge that if you take away the law, if we're not justified by keeping the law, that's not how we get right with God, by keeping all the rules, but instead we're, we're, we're made right with him by grace through faith. If we're no longer under the law and have to keep the law, the charge is we'll just do whatever we want. No one will live righteous lives. No one will keep God's commandments. No one will seek God's will and do it. And Paul says no. Actually, it works the other way around. Paul says, if you understand the case that I've been making, you'll understand that those who have been justified are now slaves to righteousness. And the whole argument here hinges upon our understanding of verse 17. We're told in verse 17, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, obedient from the heart. Now, when you read that, what you ought to hear, if you know your Bible, are echoes of the new covenant promises made to God's people in the Old Testament by the prophets. Echoes that sound like this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Or this one from Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Both these passages describe the new covenant that Jesus instituted. Listen, when you become a Christian, you become a part of God's new covenant people. And when that happens, not only does God forgive your iniquities, right, and remember your sins no more. We love that part. That's good stuff. He also puts his law inside you. He puts it within you. He writes it upon your heart. He puts his Holy Spirit within you and causes you to walk in his statutes and to be careful to obey his rules. 
This is what Paul's getting at when he talks in Romans 6, 17 about having become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you were committed. Why wouldn't we say, as the argument goes in verse 15, let's just do whatever we want to now. Yahoo, we're no longer under the law but under grace. Because as those who were under grace, we have been given a new heart. God got in. He's dealing with you now at the very deepest core of who you are, at the level of your affections, at the level of your desires, at the level of your loves. He's in. He gets in there and he writes his affections. He writes his desires. He writes his loves in you. Every true Christian knows something of this to be true. If you're a Christian, you've experienced some degree of this. You started wanting to do things that you never wanted to do before. Godly things. Like fight traffic on Marathon Sunday to show up here to worship him. Godly things like open your Bible on a Tuesday afternoon on your lunch break or something and read about who he is. He has caused you to begin to desire things that you didn't desire before. And you started abhorring things that you used to love. Ungodly things. What's going on there? I'll tell you what's going on there. You've become obedient from the heart. That's why Paul can say, by no means. And you're not perfect at this, but the desire is this. You're far from perfect at this, but the desire is there. It's why later in chapter 7, the apostle Paul can say, I do the things I don't want to do, but I, I don't do the things that I want to do. We tend to focus on the doing and the not doing there, but don't miss the desire. There are things that Paul wants to do. And there are other things that Paul doesn't want to do because he's become obedient from the heart. Here's how it works. You know, before, when you were a slave to sin, you'd hear God say, right, either through someone like me preaching or reading the Bible on your own or your parents trying to instruct you in his way, you would hear God say things like, I love you, I created you, I know what's best for you, live like this, not like this, and you'll flourish. This is the path towards joy, this is the path towards delight, this is the path towards enjoying my presence, it's the path of righteousness, it's the path of sanctification, and when you were a slave to sin, you said, eh, I think I'll live how I want to instead. But when you're justified, when your heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh, as a result of God writing his laws on your mind and on your hearts, you begin to say, wow, he loves me. I mean, he created me. He loves me. He knows what's best for me. And I'm going to live like this and not like this. I'm going to do that so I'll, I'll flourish. In fact, it's kind of weird, but I actually want to now. This is the path towards joy. This is the path towards delight. This is the path towards enjoying his presence. And oh my goodness, do I ever want to enjoy his presence. <laughs> Don't you see the change? The change is in our desires. 
The, the change is in your affections. It's, in, it's way down deep at the level of love. You've become obedient from the heart. Meaning, God's not just here today to give you strength to obey. You know, like, oh, gosh, being a Christian is really hard. Not doing those things, doing these things, such a huge burden. Walking in God's ways, thanks be to Jesus, I guess he gives me strength. He does give you strength. But he doesn't just give you strength. He gives you desire, too. He gives you desire to walk in his ways. It's a joy to you to walk in his ways. You're a slave to righteousness. And you like it. <laughs> it's not a burden. It's not a bore. It's not some new form of oppression that you've exchanged for. It's the best thing that's ever happened to you. You're not free from righteousness, and you don't want to be. You're free to righteousness. You're free for righteousness, for the practice of righteousness, a glorious truth that Paul feels so strongly about that he calls it being enslaved to righteousness. You're not your own. You belong to God. You're a slave. And it's what you want most in the whole world. If you were in Christ, if you have been justified, this is who you are. You're not on the other conveyor belt. You've been bought. You're not your own. You have a new master, and you delight in obeying him. He's gentle. He's lowly. You, you understand that. You understand his, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And because of that, you find yourself saying things like the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, because he desires it and loves it so much, he meditates upon it, not once in a while, not for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, day and night. You find yourself saying things like the Apostle Paul in the next chapter, Romans 7, verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Look at the deepest center of who we are, see? As true Christians, we delight in God's will in God's ways. He's given us his spirit to cause us to walk in it. That's what it means to be a slave of righteousness. We don't belong to sin. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We are not our own. Lastly now, we proclaim whose slaves we are by how we live. We proclaim whose slave we are by how we live. And in fact, in a way, this is actually what Paul's been up to the whole time. You realize that? All the way back in Romans chapter 1. Just turn back over there. Romans, Romans chapter 1 in your Bible there. 
He said back in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he said that through Jesus, he, Paul, had received the grace and apostleship to bring about, to bring about what? You remember this? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name. Among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. A huge part of what Paul saw as God's calling in his life and in his ministry was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among the nations. He wants to see an obedient people who love God and follow after him. This is why the Bible can say things like faith without works is dead. It's a corpse. It's like a zombie walking around. Look at how he says this in verse 19. Back in chapter 6. Paul writes, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here's what I want you to do. If you've got a pen, take your pen, circle the words just as in your Bible. Just as you used to give yourself, your members, your faculties, all of yourself. Just as you used to give yourself to sin and lawlessness, so now. Circle the words so now in your Bible. So now give yourself as a slave to righteousness leading to sanctification, he says. This is a command. It is therefore the test, church. We proclaim whose slaves we are by how we live. The true Christian is not someone who merely shows up here on Sundays, looks the part, and then lives as though they belong to themselves the rest of the week. That person is a poser. You can look like a Christian, you can talk like a Christian, you can even pray like a Christian and not actually be one. But the real question today is, who is your master? How can we tell? Well, you proclaim it by how you live. Do you give of yourself now to righteousness and sanctification? to pursuing holiness and fighting sin in your life. By reading and learning God's word and what God wants from you and seeking to obey, is there a, a humble curiosity in you that assumes transformation is still necessary in my life? Or do you feel like you've arrived? You're good now. No more change needed. Do you give yourself to that just as you used to give yourself to sinning? Do you spend as much time, as much energy laboring for righteousness as you did partying or worrying or living with pride and selfishness? Do you labor for it with the same intensity, with the same passion? Do you labor for holiness in your life? Is your chief end really, to glorify God? Hmm? Do you find yourself 
as the result of understanding increasingly that you have been justified by grace through faith, not your own works, the more you grow in understanding that, do you find yourself hating sin more? Loving sanctification more? Obeying more? Walking in holiness more? Not perfectly, more. If so, you, my friend, are a slave to righteousness. You are. Maybe you've been strained from God. <laughs> Growing cold with God over the last few months or years. It's a very common thing that we hear from people as pastors. Maybe your walk with him has grown quiet, dry, Can you hear him calling you right now? Hmm? Calling you back to him? He's never let go of you. Do, Do you know this to be true? Like in your heart, does it burn within you? Do you sense even now a a yearning for closeness, the the desire of that heart of flesh we were talking about. Do you agree he's written it on your heart? He's put it in your mind. Do you sense the Holy Spirit within you causing you to change, to return to him and to love him? Do you cry out even right now, restore in me the joy of your salvation? If so, you, my friend, are a slave to righteousness. You, my friend, are still a slave of God. And the command here in verse 19 comes to you today saying, be who you are. Not in the worldly view, like you be you. No, you be who God made you to be, who he already made you to be. Act accordingly, Paul says. Fight sin. Love Jesus. Read your Bible. Grow. Learn his wisdom and walk in it. Learn his wills and his commands and obey. Pursue growth in knowledge, growth in holiness. Put sin to death in your life. Grow in love, grow in joy, grow in peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Be who you are, a slave to righteousness, a slave of God. Listen to me, if you are a slave of God, you are on the conveyor belt towards heaven. And though you fall through sin or distance or dryness, you're on the belt. Stand back up. You're not back at the beginning, you're on the belt. You're closer to the end than you are at the beginning. He's doing his work in you. He has given you a new heart. He's made you to be born again, remember? The old has passed away. The new has come. You have been justified. Be who you are in Christ. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And in so doing, 
Proclaim whose slave you are. Jesus Christ. The greatest master there ever has been or ever will be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for Jesus, our great master, through whom we have received grace and, and sonship. Thank you for a better way. Thank you for a better covenant, for making us to become slaves of righteousness and increase in us by your spirit who lives in us. Obedience from the heart. The obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all the nations, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.